Good morning. My name is Ardalis Green. Welcome to Grace. Glad you're here. This morning we'll be in Mark chapter 8, the 27th verse in a moment. Those who saw the devastation, the destruction, the rubble made by the Blitzkrieg in London were greatly encouraged that after the bombings had stopped, there stood St. Paul's Cathedral with its beautiful cross. On the summit of Mount Everest, there beneath the ice and snow was hung a very small cross by the first man who um, summited it. His name was Sir Edmund Hillary. You've seen crosses on church buildings and some of you wear crosses through the week. Maybe you've tattooed them onto your body. But the question I want to ask to you is, what does the cross mean to you? Why did Paul say, I boast in nothing except Jesus Christ and his cross? That when he came preaching, he came preaching the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul said he gloried in the cross. He could have gloried in many things. He could have gloried in his education. He was a well-educated man. He could have gloried in being a religious man. He'd achieved a position on the Sanhedrin while yet a young man. He could have gloried in the fact that he spoke several languages. He was a well-experienced person. Or that he was a Roman citizen. But Paul said that he gloried in the cross. Could have gloried in many of the facts about Jesus' life, about his virgin birth, about the teachings of Christ, about his social concerns, compassion for the poor and needy, could have gloried in his resurrection from the dead, future rule of the world, but he said, God forbid that I glory in anything save the cross. I want you to think for the next few weeks as we begin our series on the King and his cross, I want you to think about the cross of Jesus Christ. It was the cruelest of all punishments, for it took days often for a person to die. Romans wouldn't speak of the cross in public society. They used this to humiliate criminals. The cross was used to bring people into submission. It was designed to bring a person low. A public statement that Rome has power and its prisoners are nothing. Jesus would have had the crown placed on his brow and carried his cross through the streets of Jerusalem. There being weakened by blood, he stumbled and fell. He was carried by another man, his name was Simon. And when he arrived at that place called Calvary, they would have drove the nails into his hands. They mocked him from the cross, saying he saved others himself, he can't save. So there on the cross, Jesus hung for six hours on a Friday afternoon. Question is, why did he stay on that cross? He stayed there because of you. He stayed there because he loves you. This is how we know what love really is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Because only in Jesus Christ do we find forgiveness of our sins. He was bearing our sins on the cross. People have asked me, can God really save me? Is there hope for me given all I have done? And I have prayed very simple prayers with people as tears have rolled down their cheeks, saying Jesus has the power 
to save you. Paul gloried in the cross because it is the only way to be saved. Now, in our generation, people don't like to talk about the cross. The cross is being removed from public places. Some churches don't have crosses. So if you find this sermon kind of boring, you can just look at the cross. It's just over there. Ultimately, Jesus would say to his disciples, you want to follow me, you want to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross every day and follow. If you want to live the Christian life, it's going to cost you something. Now, you can go to church all your life and try to be a good person and never be a disciple. And our church is seriously into discipleship. I remember the day that I first came to know Christ. It was a moonlit night and there were fireflies everywhere. It was in June. So the sky was ablaze with these fireflies and the moon. I looked across the field and there was woods nearby. And I knew that something had happened to me. I couldn't explain to you what exactly then. But I knew that Christ had come into my life. And he has seriously transformed me as I have followed him. No matter how you slice it, the heart of the Christian mission is the cross. <laughs> we wonder why did the early Christians establish the cross as the symbol of their faith? Why didn't they choose, for instance, the dove? Because the dove symbolized peace. Why didn't they choose the shepherd's staff to symbolize God's protection? Why didn't they choose the rainbow to show hope and promise. We wonder, did God make a marketing mistake when he chose the cross? What was God thinking when he chose the most brutal form of execution as the symbol? A.D.W. Tozier, he wrote these words, in every Christian heart there is a cross and there is a throne. If we try to sit on the throne of our own life, we try to be the king. We're in charge. We're in control. We call the shots. We tell other people what to do. Most of our internal conflicts we have come from trying to be the king. We want the internet to work faster. We want the traffic to move quicker. We want the day to finish sooner. We want to be king. I remember when I was a kid, we played a game called... Uh, King of the Hill. Maybe you played too. And the quest of the game was to get to the top of the hill, you know, scratch and claw your way to the top. And then you can declare yourself king, like the ruler. I rule this hill in Marlow Heights, Maryland. <laughs> I declare myself king. But we still want to be the king. Tozer says, in every Christian heart, there is a cross and there is the throne. Tozer says the Christian is on the throne until he puts himself on the cross. The cross is an invitation to die to yourself. To put yourself on the cross is to die to your old self that your new self can be born. It's an invitation to die to your lower self that you might live in your higher self. But you'll never know your new self until you crucify your old self. We want to be saved, Tozer says, 
but we insist that Christ do all the dying. He says, no cross, no dying. Jesus Christ died for our sins that we might die to sin, that sin may no longer have any power over us. So with that, we turn to Mark chapter 8 and verse 27. Jesus and his disciples. Remember, the gospel of Mark begins with Jesus choosing his disciples. Um, then later he's going to give them the commission to go make disciples. But here we see Jesus in the process of making disciples, identifying his identity and his purpose. So Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked them, who do people say that I am? They were walking together outdoors, a place called Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus decides to give his disciples an exam. You could call this the midterm and final exam. The first question is, who do people say that I am? Now, Jesus was riding a huge wave of popularity. No one had ever cured a leper before or healed a paralyzed man. These were considered incurable conditions. But Jesus not only healed, but said, your sins are forgiven to the paralyzed man. There was certainly a buzz. Jesus was saying, I'm sure you've been paying attention to what people are saying about me. Who do people say that I am? And their answers came up. Well, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say one of the prophets. What would you say people say he is? I've heard people say that Jesus is a good man. I've heard people say that Jesus was truly concerned about others. I've heard people say he's the best man ever. And I've heard people say, I don't even know who Jesus is. What do you think about Jesus? Jesus then turns to his disciples in verse 29 and says, what about you? I'm sure you have an opinion. You've been with me now three years. You've seen the miracles. You've heard the teachings. Who do you believe that I am? What do you believe my true identity is? Who do you say that I am? And Peter raises his hand. <laughs> Peter is the clear leader. He says, I know, I know, I know. I know who you are. You are the Christ. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, the king. It means anointed one. You see, Mark's gospel is largely an eyewitness testimony of Peter to Mark. But Mark does not include what Matthew wrote about Peter. This is what Matthew wrote. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this is, was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Peter got some help with his confession. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Haiti will never overcome it. This is called Peter's confession. And over the years, there have been many confessionals that have been created. One of which is the Apostles' Creed. 
It reads like this. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. They laid him in a tomb, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead. It's a beautiful thing to confess your faith and confess it corporately together. Now, after making this confession, this is called the turn, the turn in Mark's gospel. He turns now toward the cross. This is what he says in verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, must be rejected by the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days must rise again. And he spoke plainly about this. There is nothing more important in your entire life than how you will deal with your own personal suffering and the sufferings around you, your own unspoken pain. Some of you deal here with physical pain, unrelenting back pain, trying to stop the advancement of cancer, dealing with Alzheimer's. Some of you here are dealing with emotional pain of the pain of a breakup or the pain of a divorce. Where will your soul turn in the midst of pain? Will it run to another relationship to try to mend your broken heart? Will it turn to something to anesthetize your pain? Or will you turn to Jesus who suffered for you? Jesus said, I must suffer and I must be rejected. I must be crucified and I must rise again. Four things are true that Jesus says here he's going to die. And his death is intentional, a voluntary death. He's not running from it. He's running towards it. And his death will be very violent. But after his death, there will be a resurrection. It is the crucial fact in all of history, that our sin had put us into a prison. We were far from God under God's wrath. We were powerless to free ourselves, and Jesus paid the ransom price. <laughs> it's interesting in the story that Peter <clears throat> began to rebuke Jesus. He took him aside and he began to rebuke Jesus. After he confessed him to be Lord, he began to rebuke him. From the time that Peter was on his mother's knee, he had hoped that the Messiah would finally come, that the Messiah would be a good king, that the Messiah would be the end of all earthly kings, the Messiah would be the king of kings. That Israel would once again be a great nation. You see, Peter just wanted to make Israel great again. Israel was once a great nation. He's hoping that the nations would come to Israel again. That the Messiah would sit on the throne. He would deliver his people from injustice, from evil and oppression. See, Peter had a sword. And Peter was willing to fight for this kingdom. 
This is not good, Jesus. I mean, don't go getting negative on me. You're famous. There's crowds everywhere swelling to see you. Things are going so exceedingly well. You're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. I mean, even the weather obeys you. No more talk about this death and dying stuff. But notice that after Peter rebuked Jesus, Jesus rebuked Peter. <laughs> Don't ever think that Jesus can't bring correction to us when we're wrong. Because Peter had on his mind the things of man. Remember when Jesus was tempted and Satan said, all these kingdoms, all their glory, I will give you if you just bow down to me. Well, here was another temptation to Jesus. You see, there would be no glory without suffering. There would be no gains without pain. There would be no resurrection without the cross. So he called Peter out. <laughs> and he said, Peter, you're acting like a consumer, not like a follower. A consumer is asking the question, what can I get out of this? Jesus says he's going to be crucified, arrested, going to be resurrected, going to be betrayed. So the question becomes in this text, what is the cost of discipleship? What is God asking us to do? Look at verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If any man would come after me. <laughs> to come after somebody is to have a passionate pursuit of them. We often speak of this in context of romantic relationships, kind of coming after somebody, passionately pursuing them. You see, there's a progression in a young man's life. In the first grade, we learn there's a difference between boys and girls. In grade school, we try to keep our distance from the girls, believing that they have cooties. And we get older a little bit, and we start having feelings, but we don't know quite how to express them, so we hit the girls, right? Then somewhere between fifth and seventh grade, we say, I got to get myself one of those. I remember one of the first of my friends, his name was Jimmy Nyman, he had a crush on a girl. My friends and I thought he had lost his mind. He lived down the street, you know, Jimmy and I played together. We played baseball in the summer, you know, football in the fall. We went sledding like this in the, you know, wintertime. We didn't understand why he started trading notes with her. Do you like me? Yes, no, or maybe. Why he'd call her, really, call her on the one family phone and tie it up. Why they sat together at lunch. Suddenly, Jimmy started smelling better. <laughs> Suddenly, Jimmy started looking better. I never saw him look so good. His life was not the same when he began pursuing her. We didn't understand it. But something happened inside of him that he began to go after her. Now, your friends around you won't understand it when you begin to passionately pursue Jesus, identifying yourself as his disciple, right? 
But that's the first step. If any man would come after me, a passionate pursuit of Jesus. Then he says, okay, coming after me, let him deny himself. You can't come after Jesus. You can't pursue him. You can't be his disciple unless you deny yourself. It's good to say no to yourself, isn't it? The phrase deny yourself isn't just saying say no to yourself. I mean, you can be out for lunch and the waitress offers you some dessert and you say, no thanks. I'm denying myself. You can be on a diet and you can say, I'm going to say no to my second or third, third portion or I'm going to say no to the confetti cake or <laughs> confetti cupcakes or I'm going to say no to the brownies in the oven because I'm trying to be good. My son, Chris, who's a physician, says he's going to write a book someday about dieting. And here's his three lines, a three-line book. First, you can lose weight. Second line, you have to say no to yourself. Third line, you have to learn to live with hunger. You may not read his book, but that's what he's going to write. <laughs> you see, Jesus said you have to deny yourself. It means to disown, to refuse to associate with, to not hold company with. I no longer am the person I used to be. I no longer associate with that person. I do not keep company with my old self. I abandon myself. I abandon all efforts of myself to earn God's favor. I abandon all confidence in myself to solely trust in myself. But it's more than that. It means to deny self-will and self-ambition. True conversion has to do with denying yourself. Giving up your independence. Choosing to trust in Christ alone. Bringing yourself under the sovereign lordship of the person of Christ. Saying, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I put you in charge of my life. His ambition becomes my ambition. His will becomes my will. His purpose becomes my purpose. The broken person gives up everything to follow him. You know the stories Jesus taught about the great pearl of great price. The man sold everything to possess. He tells a story about the treasure in the field that the man sold everything to take possession of the treasure. And what is the treasure? The treasure is Jesus. It requires giving up everything. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself. He doesn't say, let him hate himself. He doesn't say, deny his humanity or turn against himself. He means, coming after him means denying yourself. Now, we're in the season of Lent, right? And people will ask, what are you giving up for Lent? I've decided what I'm going to give up for Lent. March Madness. <laughs> I gave it up. I just don't want to be mad in March. <laughs> I, I like the Coke commercial. You know, a good Coke is something good in the, in the midst of a great loss, you know. But some people will say that, you know, this is about giving up luxuries or necessities. No, no. This is about giving up yourself. Denying yourself. We have been bought with a price. We are not our own. We belong to him. Denying ourselves means I no longer have a right to myself 
to run my life as to what I'm going to do or where I'm going to go. A person was preaching the gospel in Africa and two young men heard the gospel being declared and decided to follow Jesus. The next day they packed up their clothes and showed up at the house where he was staying and moved in with the missionary. The evangelist asked the local missionary, why, why do these guys bring their stuff to your house to live? He explained they'd no longer be welcome in their own homes. They knew that they'd be rejected when they made their decision to follow Jesus. You see, choosing Jesus means we choose him over our families and over our comforts and over our conveniences and over money and over our careers and over what people think about us. <laughs> For some Christians, what I'm trying to say to you all, denying yourself, was in the fine print. I'm not sure I agreed to that when I signed up to be a believer, a follower of Jesus. <laughs> because we live in this culture of consumerism. What can God do for me? But the real question of Christianity is, God, what do you want me to do for you? How do you want me to follow you? It's like the guy who went to the gym, right? And he's stuffing his face with hamburgers and milkshake, but he grabs his workout bag. He wants to get a workout, you know, going to the gym. He wants to sort of have all the benefits without the sacrifices. Christianity, first of all, if you want to follow after Jesus, it involves denying yourself. Second thing, to pick up your cross every day. Making a decision is not enough. Making a confession is not enough. If he is Christ, he expects to be followed and obeyed. He doesn't ask for modest adjustments. He asks for a complete overhaul. Cross-bearing involves self-sacrifice, giving up one's life. Did they understand what he was saying in this context? Yes. Crucifixion meant death. 30,000 Jews were being crucified by the Romans in this period. They used to see crucifixions on the highway because that's where they traveled. Jesus had an assignment to go to the cross. And the assignment he gives to us is take up your cross every day and follow me. This gift of salvation is so valuable you would give up everything to follow him. This is a willingness to endure persecution because the cross is a metaphor to indicate that we will suffer. Now we know in our country, I think I've personally experienced this, rejection from friends. My dearest friend just turned away from me when I became a believer. From relatives, they're mocking, scorning of relatives, people we work with. But in other countries, this involves persecution people out to take the Christians out. See, true conversion is to hear the gospel and follow after Jesus, denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. Bonhoeffer said, the cross is laid onto every Christian. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Jesus says, take up your cross to deny yourself and to follow after him. 
Jesus invites us to take up our cross daily. Every day we make a decision to die to ourselves, to live for Christ. Philippians 1.21 says this, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul said it like this in Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Dying to yourself is not a one-time decision. <laughs> we often think about conversion being like giving to God a $100 bill, right? As if, you know, it's a big one-time decision that we give God everything, a $100 bill. Well, God takes that $100 bill and says, think about giving it back to me a penny at a time, a day at a time, just surrendering your life a day at a time, picking up your cross every day, denying yourself, following me every day. What do you think that dying to yourself looks like? Finally, follow me. Follow me. You know, if we're going to take a journey, and that's what the Christian life is about, it's a journey. There's three parts, right? There's, if you're on a journey, there's saying goodbye, right? Goodbye to the old self. When you become a believer, you say goodbye to the old self. The second part is taking up your bag, right? Carrying your cross. And the third part is following him. Following him each and every day, saying, let's go. So we follow Jesus. We learn to love our enemies. We learn to be kind to the ungrateful. We learn to bear one another's burdens. We learn to freely give as we've been freely given. This is a continuous life of living. You could say, keep on denying yourself. Keep on carrying your cross. Keep on following Jesus. Keep on denying the rights to yourself. Keep on taking up your cross. Keep up following after Jesus. And he will change us into different people. You see, there's going to come a point in your life, a point of decision, where you know what the world is asking of you to do, and you know what Christ is asking you to do. Jesus is going to ask you to follow him. Now, there may be a price. There will be a cost. And you have to choose whether you're going to follow Christ or follow this world. Right? The world would only seek to enslave you, but Christ would seek to set you free. I know of a young man who said, I cannot be in this relationship and follow Christ anymore. I must let go of this relationship. He's chosen to follow Christ. You see at these crossroads, at these points of decision, you'll find out that when you lose yourself, you finally save yourself. And that's what Jesus would say in verse 35. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. For what good is it if a man gains the whole world and yet forfeits his own soul? Imagine that. Here's a person who's gained the whole world. He has all the possessions of the world. He enjoys all the pleasures of the world. 
He has all the power in the world. And he comes to the end of his life, and his soul is required of him. God asks him for his soul. Now, what would that man in that situation who has everything and his destiny is on the line, what would he give for his soul? The answer, everything. He can't take it with him, right? Have you ever seen a U-Haul behind a hearse? <laughs> he can't take it with him. So what good is it if a person gains the whole world and has to forfeit their own soul? Jesus said it like this. Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Hmm. If you want to hang on to your life, if you want to be in control of your life, if you want to hold on to your sin, you will lose your life. But if you lose your life to follow Jesus, then you will save your life. Because only Jesus has the power to save. You look at that guy, you know, in that situation, and you say, <laughs> you know, he, he, he was willing to hold on to his life. Did he make a good deal, right? Was that a good bargain? Did he make a good decision? I mean, how valuable is your soul? Your soul is going to live somewhere forever. Your soul is worth more than anything in this world. And the only provision for your soul there is no other provision other than the provision of Jesus Christ on the cross. He paid an infinite price because of the infinite value of your soul. There is no other solution than to believe in Jesus Christ. You see, this guy would have made a great discovery and now he's telling you about it that your soul is worth more than anything in this world. So let me say this to you. Salvation is free. It's going to cost you nothing. But following Jesus is costly. It's going to cost you something. And Jesus said it this way. If you want to come after me, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross every day and follow me. Who wants to follow Jesus. Pray with me. Father, we set our hearts a long time ago upon being your disciples, about following you no matter what the price, no matter what the cost, no matter what the sacrifice. And our hearts are inspired as we look around us and we see so many who have followed you, Lord. So many of our brothers and sisters and Countries where there's persecution laying down their lives to follow after you. We ourselves wrestle with this because we know that much is asked of us, but much is also given to us. You give us the Holy Spirit to empower and strengthen us. You give us the word of God to equip us. You give us each other to encourage our faith, to testify to your faithfulness. But Father, we all do come to a place of decision of whether we really do want to follow you. So Father, here in your presence, 
we declare and we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We confess that he went to a cross, that he suffered for our sins, that he was crucified, that he was buried in a tomb, the third day he rose again. And we hear his voice asking us to surrender, to surrender, to surrender, to confess. So we make that confession, Lord, before you. We're about to sing it. We make that confession. And we simply say, Jesus, I really, really, really want to follow you. If that's the intention of your heart, would you just lift up your hand and just say, that's what I really want to do. I want to follow him. Thank you. Thank you. God, you know the intentions of our heart. You know what we really want to do. God, my heart's desire is to follow you. Father, would you raise up disciples to our church? Would you enable us to make disciples who live their lives in love like Jesus?